Open up to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34 this morning. Si habla español, abran sus Biblias al Evangelio según Marcos, capítulo 12, versículos 28, 28 a 34. We return to the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 12 here. It's still Wednesday of Holy Week. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is in the temple. He's in the midst of ongoing, repetitive challenges, controversy. It's Wednesday. He's less than 48 hours from Friday afternoon. Less than 48 hours from the cross. The final four chapters of Mark cover a mere five days. Mark is slowing down as Jesus takes one step after another toward the cross. And as, in the, and as he's in the midst of all these challenges, today he encounters one final challenge. But this one's different. This one's different from all the rest. So with that, would you read along with me, beginning in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to, has, to ask him any more questions. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you would confront us once again this morning with Jesus. Remind us afresh of his truth, of his grace, of his love, of his authority, of his reality, of his life, of his death, his resurrection. Lord, as you send your spirit to open our eyes, to open our ears, that we might 
see and hear afresh and be changed by what we hear and see. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We, we cannot miss the, the intensity and the tension of this moment. The religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, if you remember, which was a group of 70 men comprised of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, and then a 71st man, the, the high priest, the chief priest, they had sent wave after wave of challenge against Jesus once he had come into the temple in Jerusalem. First, they sent the Pharisees along with the political Herodians to trap him in a political question about taxes, a seemingly impossible question that had cornered him, and he evaded them, not, not by getting around it, by, but by instead exposing their own sin and proving himself righteous. Then they sent the Sadducees to ask him an incredibly difficult theological question about marriage and the resurrection. This, this question again seemed impossible, but he once again exposed them, proved himself to be the righteous one, answered with divine authority, and exposed their deceit for what it was. And finally now, you have the last group of the Sanhedrin represented in the, in the group called the scribes. But today, again, this is different. Instead of a whole group coming, there's one. And instead of, instead of him coming to trap Jesus, this guy seems sincere. He's asking another difficult question. This is a very difficult question, but this one is different. For the first time since he entered Jerusalem, Someone who seems sincere. Verse 28, he looked at these controversies, these challenges, and he's listening to what Jesus says. Verse 28, he says, he sees that Jesus answered them well. So he's going, this guy, this teacher, he may actually be onto something. And so he comes up to him, one-on-one. And he says, which commandment is the most important of all, teacher?" And Jesus quickly answers with the same divine authority. What his answer was, we'll get there. What I want to divert our attention to at this moment, though, is the scribe's reply to Jesus' answer. Look down all the way to verse, to verse 32 and 33. The scribe affirms Jesus. He says, you are right, teacher. He commends Jesus. He says, you have spoken truly. And Mark intends you to feel something here. He intends you to get excited. Has, has, this, has this scribe just become a disciple of Christ? Has he just converted? Has this guy actually come around? Has he, has he, has he turned from opponent to follower? Does Jesus end this temple controversy on a high note of the conversion of one of the Sanhedrin? You're intended to feel that excitement. Verse 34. When Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now listen, on one hand, the the scribe had presumed to to judge Jesus, to judge his answer, to to give his opinion of, of Jesus' answer. Jesus turns it around and he judges the scribe. He proves to him, no, no, no. You, you don't judge me in my answer. 
I'm not that kind of a teacher. He also takes this question about the law and he makes it about the kingdom of God. And he says, he says, you are not far, my friend. You are near, but you are not in. You are near, but you are not in. Several years ago, I think it was in 2015, 2014 or 2015, that the newest Mission Impossible movie had just come out. We, we decided not to see it in the theaters. We we're going to wait until it came out to rent. And, and it was released on this particular weekend. So Kelsey and I, it was a Saturday. We, we drove to the nearest Red Box. Do you remember those? And I scrolled through the titles. Not that one, not that one, not that one. There it was. There it was. The, the letters took up nearly half the movie cover. MI5. And there, there's the central character on the, on the movie cover as well with an explosion behind him and an action sequence. I'm like, that's the one. So I push it. And it comes out. And we go home. And I pop that DVD in the DVD player. Don't know where that DVD player is anymore. It's probably lost in one of the, one of the moves. Nobody has one of those anymore. We, we put it in. And we're sitting there watching. And I'm thinking, this is, this is a little bit different than I expected. But, but all the elements are there, generally. It, you know, it's... It, it has espionage and, and spies and, and lots of action. And Kelsey's not really watching it with me. She's not that interested in this action movie. She's just she's doing something else. And about an hour into the movie, I turned to Kelsey and I'm like, I really would have expected Tom Cruise to have been in this movie at this point. <laughs> and she finally perks up, and after about two seconds of research on her phone, she shows it to me. She goes, Kyle, this isn't even the right movie. Apparently, a British film production company released a movie called MI5 right at about the same time as Mission Impossible 5 was released. And it was a spy movie, espionage, action. It was close to the right movie. But 0% of the movie I was watching was actually Mission Impossible. I was close to the right movie, but I was not in the right movie. Being near is not the same as being in. And I want to get your attention right now. Are, are you maybe not far, but also not in? Have you been orbiting the, the, the kingdom of God and Christian elements and components, but not actually have stepped in. Do, do you maybe know somebody who's, who's not far, somebody who's near but is not in, and, and, and you're wondering, gosh, is this person actually a Christian? They're, they're doing Christian things, and they're, they're sort of orbiting the, the, church, the life of the church and orbiting, orbiting living a moral life but I'm just not sure if they're near. What, what is the difference between being near but, but not far and being near but in? And how does one get in? And, and, and I believe that the Lord wants to meet us today in this question, to show you why the scribe was not far. What Jesus meant by indicating that the scribe was near, but to also show you why the scribe was not quite yet in. 
So two, two, two points, if we're going to have points today. One, why, why he was not far. Second point, why he was not in. Why he was not far, why he was not in. So first, why, why was this guy not far? Why did Jesus commend him and say, you've answered wisely, you are not far? Well, look at the question that he asked. And talk about a cliffhanger, right? Well, teacher, which commandment is the most important of all? We haven't even said a word about this, but he is asking what the most important commandment of all is. And that word all doesn't just mean of all the commandments, it means of all people. The one that's binding for Jew and Gentile alike. But it does also mean all commandments. The, the Torah, the, the Jewish Old Testament, it contained 613 different commands. And it had become somewhat common for people to ask reputed teachers what, what, what the central commandment was or, or how to summarize the whole law. Okay? And don't, don't miss this fact. This scribe, he was a reputed teacher. The scribes were the experts of the law. The experts. So this was one of the most reputed teachers asking Jesus who had no clout amongst the religious authorities. So he sees something significant happening in Jesus. So for him to ask this question, Jesus says something about how impressed he was with Jesus' answers to his opponents. So he says, Jesus, which commandment supersedes all others. Which command should direct the lives of every man, woman, and child everywhere? What a question. Wouldn't you like to know the answer? Wouldn't you like to know the answer? Verses 29 through 31. He says, the most important is, and he answers this easily and quickly. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love that Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe asks for one commandment. Jesus says, I'll give you two. And he, and he draws from Deuteronomy 6 four and five, which are known as the Shema, which was really a passage that was central to Jewish tradition and religion. But he also draws from Leviticus 19.18, and he combines the two into one unified commandment. We can't miss this. Commentator James Edwards says, nobody had ever regarded the love of God and neighbor together as the center of the law. Jesus was demonstrating his divine authority here. He was demonstrating that, that, that he was the chief interpreter of the law. He was doing something nobody had ever done before, not something new, but something more right and more accurate than anybody had ever done because he was the fulfillment of the law. He was the lawgiver himself. This was revolutionary. In verse 30, gosh, quoting Deuteronomy 6, 
He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all your heart. Now, what I don't want you to do is, is look at mind, soul, heart, strength, and think, okay, so where does the, where does the heart begin, and, and where does the soul begin, and where does that end, and how do those mix, and what's an expression of my heart, what's an expression of my soul, how do I love God with each of these component parts? That's not, that's not the primary way to look at this command, to try to parse that out. The parsing of it out comes in, in the fullness of Scripture, okay? What you do need to see are the alls. There are four alls in that one verse. So less than this being about distinguishing between the component parts of, of the human person, this is about the necessity of a total response of love to the Lordship of God. There is no part of you that is accepted from this. That's the point. There is no part of your life that is not included in the command to love God. Every molecule of your body and every affection of your inward being should be directed in every moment of your life toward the one true God in holy, devoted love. That's the point. That's the point. And again, to the, to the, to the surprise of this scribe, no doubt, Jesus goes a second mile and adds Leviticus 19.18, and he says, the second, you weren't asking for this, but the second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Luke 10 with the parable of the Good Samaritan, which was earlier in Jesus' ministry, Jesus defined for the Jews who their neighbor was. There was a lawyer who self-righteously said, well, yeah, okay, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the conclusion from that is, your neighbor is whomever God puts in your path with no distinction." No qualification. Jewish tradition up to that point viewed their neighbor as other Jews. People like them, people they were comfortable with, people that they liked. Jesus said, uh-uh. Your definition of neighbor needs to expand drastically. Whoever lives among you and around you, whoever you rub shoulders with, whoever God puts in your path, that is your neighbor, and you are commanded to love them. Love them how? As yourself. As yourself. Now, I want you to, to just note here, there are not three commands in this, and, and that has been advanced before by, by other teachers and theologians, that there, the three commands are love God, love neighbor, and love self. No. It's not what Jesus is saying, let me be really clear, this, this is not a third command. This is not a command to grow in love for neighbor and for self. Pastor C.J. Mahaney humorously reminds us that there is a reason why magazines called People and Us and Self have sold very well for decades. Self-love is not unnatural for us. Love of self is not a problem. 
That, that, that is more a product of, of a world that does not know the love of God because in the absence of the love of God, the best and greatest love, which is tragic, is my own love for myself. But innately, we are prideful beings. My priorities, my, my self-care, my opinions, my schedule, my preferences tend to be my priority. I tend to love the things that I love. I tend to be rather impressed by myself. And such is the narrative of every human there is. And when self-love is the best love that you can find, we, we do find that, gosh, it is, it is an insufficient love. And that's why it produces such sadness and such emptiness. We have no problem loving self. That's Jesus' point. And he's saying, as much as you care for yourself, apply that same standard to your neighbor. Apply at least that standard to your neighbor. To which neighbors? All of them. All of them. See, all of their interests is greater than your own. Friends, these are, these are high callings. And these two commands, they go hand in hand. They're not separate or exclusive of one another. Again, James Edwards uh, helpfully comments, love of neighbor is the chief means of loving God. Likewise, love of God expresses itself in loving your neighbor. So before we move on, let me, let me give just a couple points of application in this regard. And Jeff and I were talking before the service. <laughs> How do you sufficiently preach this command at this point in Jesus' ministry. This is such a, a hard task, but I'm going to go for it and trust the Lord to do his work through me and through us. First point of, of application from this, first of two, is exercise an active, tangible love of God. Exercise an active, tangible love of God. What does it look like to love God or ask yourself that question right now. What would it look like for me to, to love God? And, and likely things like reading your Bible, going to church, singing songs of praise to God, praying, those are probably what come up in your mind, and that is true. Those are all, those are all appropriate disciplines of, of engaging in communion with the Lord our God. But we see here that that extends into human relationships too. Author Joe Rigney very helpfully summarizes verses 29 through 31, and he says, love for neighbor is what love for God looks like when it meets neighbors. Love for neighbor is what the love of God looks like when it meets neighbors. And Joe Rigney extends that principle into all of life, which is, I think, very appropriate. I think this is good and right. This is what it means to connect love of God into the whole of your life, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is what it looks like. He says, I believe this principle can be extended beyond neighbors to every other good thing that God provides. 
What does full and supreme love for God look like when it meets one of his gifts? Any of his gifts? What does love for God look like when it meets one of his gifts? Glad reception and enjoyment of those gifts. Grateful enjoyment of fish tacos is what supreme love for God looks like when it eats fish tacos. Delight in people and love for people is what supreme and full love for God looks like when it meets people. When the command to love God meets your weekend activities, when the command to love God meets your mealtimes throughout the day, when the command to love God meets your responsibilities at work, it means engaging them with gratitude and contentment and joy and fullness in the God who gave them to you. We have to be careful not to overly uh, mystify love for God as though it's strictly in the spiritual realm. No, it is all of life. Every bit. You are loving God in how you are listening to this sermon right now. Ladies, when you put together your, your bouquet of flowers from the flower bar, you are loving God as you, as you bask in the richness of what it means to be a mother, as you look at the beauty of what God has created in those flowers. Love for God is not some disembodied activity. It's done with all of you in all of life. Learn to see it that way. Secondly, let loving your neighbor be your highest ethic. Write that down. Let loving your neighbor be your highest ethic. I don't know I'm drumming some things up here, but I I remember in in mid-2020 feeling incredibly unsettled. Not because of the pandemic itself, but because what was being yelled from the rooftops about what you should be doing to make the world a better place. You need to be an ally. You need to make known where you stand on this or that issue or another on your social media profiles. And then once you've done that, you need to be active in fighting for changes in legislation because we need to correct systemic issues. And again, I know, I know there are buttons pushed there, but listen, I kept coming back to myself thinking, what happened to simply loving your neighbor? What happened to simply loving your neighbor? If there is an issue with people treating others wrongly and, and, and deciding who I'm going to, to give privilege and, and, and such or other to, what if everybody looked around them and said, who is my neighbor? Well, it's everybody. Regardless of what color they are, regardless of what ethnicity or culture they are, whoever my neighbor is, I'm going to love them. I'm going to move toward them in self-sacrificial love and give to them whoever they are. Listen, that is the most that you can do for anybody. When, when we begin to take 
love for others out of the realm of actual human relationships and make it about making stances and, and, and existing in a, in a digital realm without actually contacting people and moving into their lives, we're lowering our ethic for actually helping and loving people. Listen, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I don't, want, need to, I don't mean to demean anything or anyone, but listen, yelling our virtues into the community is easy. It's easy. Actually loving your neighbor, driving to their house, asking how you can pray for them, saying, hey, do you have any maintenance needs in your home that I can help you with? Hey, you told me about your, your family member who's really struggling. How, how's that going? Can I help in any way? Hey, would you like to come over to my house for, for dinner? We'd love to host you over, over at our house. Hey, would you come into my life? And, and could I come into your life if you will let me? Can I give you my time? Can I give you my resources? Can I give of myself for your good? Oh, that's the much harder thing. And to do so without distinction and without prejudice. Oh, that takes work. That challenges us to our very core. Because we, just like the Jews, like to interact with people we like. We like to set limits on who our neighbor is. But if we love our neighbor without limits as ourselves, oh, that is the highest ethic of interpersonal relationships in the kingdom of God and in this world that he has created. It's hard work. Listen, we spent three weeks before these past couple sermons talking about our call as a church to evangelism, to loving our Santa Ana neighbors. It's helpful to remember that that's not just the, the priority of the pastors of this church. This is a command from God and it is central to the most important command from God. Love your neighbors. Our mission is part of the most important commandment from God. And when we actually move toward those very neighbors in Christ-like, self-effacing, self-sacrificial love, oh, we can expect God to accomplish tremendous things. Tremendous things. Now, look back at verses 32 and 33. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher, You've truly said that he's one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The scribe sees the wisdom in Jesus' answer. He agrees this is the highest ethic. And he agrees that it's better than overly mystical ritual sacrifices. So he gets it. And Jesus says, you're not far. That's what it, that's what it means when, when he says you're not far because he understands the heart of the law. He agrees with what is truly good and right morality. He's actually listening to Jesus. And pay attention to those. <laughs> he agrees with what is good. He understands the heart of the law. And he's actually listening to Jesus. All those make someone near to the kingdom, but still don't get them in. It's the second, final point of the day here. 
why he was not in. Why he could understand what the heart of the law was. Why he could agree with Jesus. Why he could be actively listening to Jesus, but still not be in the kingdom. You ever hear the phrase, love God and love others? A, a one, one short phrase that summarizes what Jesus says here. It's, I, I, I swear, it's the mission statement of a thousand different churches. Love God and love others. You see it on websites all the time. And it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Like, huh, okay. Love God and love, love others. I can handle that. Here's the problem. That is the hardest thing for you and me to ever possibly do. It's not just hard because it bucks against something. It's impossible to actually fulfill that command because of the high standard of the command. Remember I told you how important the alls are here? (laughs) All of you, all the time, all ultimately toward God alone without exception. And then the second command, don't just love your neighbors, love them as yourself. And again, which of your neighbors? All of them. This is not a principle to be generally followed when and if it's convenient for me. These alls are binding. They're binding. The the as yourself is always required. If you find find yourself choosing your neighbors and being prejudiced toward one particular neighbor for, for anything, you've not followed that command. If you prioritize love for self or anything other than God above God, you've not followed that first command. Listen, the most important command is an impossible standard. The scribe knew the right things and wanted to do the right things. But you cannot enter the kingdom of God by knowing the right things. And you cannot enter the kingdom of God by wanting to do the right things. If you're taking notes, write that down. You cannot enter the kingdom of God by knowing the right things, and you cannot enter the kingdom of God by wanting to do the right things. You can't. That's what Jesus is saying here. The scribe's disposition was admirable. But, but it's like watching MI5 and expecting at some point to finally get into Mission Impossible. You're not going to. It's a completely different movie. The only way I'm going to actually get into that movie is by leaving my house, going back to Redbox, and getting the right movie. I might be circling around and orbiting around the, the same themes. I mean, I'm watching a movie, not reading a book, so I'm close in that regard. It's the right genre. The movie covers look really similar, but it's not the same movie. The scribe was not in, but but listen, let me ask this, how far was he from the kingdom of God then? In physical terms, about three feet. The embodiment of the kingdom of God was standing in front of him. Jesus himself. James Edwards says, Jesus declared who is on the threshold and who is not on the threshold of the kingdom of God. 
the kingdom of God, which is present not in the Torah, not in the law, but in himself. The kingdom of God is present in Jesus. He's the kingdom of God made flesh. Again, if you remember from our series in 1 Samuel, the kingdom of God is, is God's rule amongst God's people in God's place. That is Jesus. He is the kingdom. And only Jesus had loved God supremely. Only Jesus had loved others greater than himself without exception. He's the only man, the only person who's ever done it. And up to this point in his life, standing before the scribe, he had still perfectly obeyed the greatest commandments. And friends, at the end of this passage, the shadow of the cross looms larger than it ever has before. Look down at verse 34. And after that, no one dared to, ha- to ask him any more questions. This is, this is an ominous close to this, to this series of challenges and controversy. Plan A was to trap him was to get him to say something that would discredit him or get him killed. He had won all of the challenges. Now it was time for plan B, which was outright betrayal and lies. And plan B was already set in motion as Satan began to work in Judas's heart. The end of verse 34 is another large step of Jesus toward the cross. Jesus was the embodiment of the kingdom and he was going toward a cross. And on that cross, he would perfectly express his love for God by being obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And on the cross was a display of love for neighbor to the complete denial of self like has never been seen before and never again will be seen in all of history. And it is actually that love, that that history-transcending love that is the motive for our love. We cannot love as as God commands us to unless we've first been loved by him. It's what 1 John says, right? We love, why? Because he first loved us. And he's on his way in Mark 12 to expressing that love. This cross would prove to be the doorway into the kingdom. Because on that cross, he applied his perfect obedience to the greatest commandment to all who believe in him. That's what's going on here. That's how you get in. Through the cross of Jesus Christ. So whether you're near or you are far, the only way to get in the kingdom of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's the only way in. And it doesn't matter if today you are near or you are far. You could be farther today than you've ever been in in your entire life. 
You could have rebelled and run and strayed all the way to the next country as far as it's concerned in this matter. Or you could be standing right next to him. But by placing your faith in him, in his finished work, submitting your life to his lordship and believing in him as the only way to salvation, you get in. You get in. It's the only way. And that can be true for anyone today. So did, the, did this scribe ever enter the kingdom? I don't know. I hope so. I hope we get to meet him one day. I hope we get to meet this guy one day. But no matter what else he did, apart from finally believing in Jesus, he was at as near that moment as he would, as he would ever be. But not in. So as we close, I want to just talk to couple different groups in this room and if you're listening to the recording of this sermon and you fall in this group I would just humbly ask you to pay attention to listen to this we're talk to youth and those who have been near the kingdom of God what I mean by that is is people who have been attending church maybe for a long time you've gained familiarity with the scriptures People who've grown up in Christian households. Like the scribe, you, you agree with, with what's at the heart of the law? You, you understand the scriptures? You, I mean, you've, you've read them and, you've, and you understand them. You're actually pretty well versed in it. You, you even listen to what Jesus has to say. You, you have, you've orbited around the local church for years, even orbited within the local church. But if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, as your only Lord and Savior, you're not in. Parents, this is helpful for you. To remind your kids, especially as they grow into those teenage years, going with you to church will not save them. Be- being, being near to Christian things and listening to Christian music and going to Awana and this or that or the other, it won't save them. It won't step one foot into the kingdom of God for them. but by believing in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. You get both feet and the whole person, all heart, soul, mind, and strength, that whole person that Jesus talked about, gets in. Whether near or far, the only way you get in the kingdom of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, These are weighty words. Somehow I've just presumed to, in 40 minutes, speak about the most important commandment in all of scriptures. And you and I know I've done it insufficiently, but you and I know that your spirit can use anything, even the most imperfect vessels, as we're reminded every day is true, to accomplish the greatest of all works. Lord, I pray for those for whom those last words had a resonance as you caused them to land on ears and and hearts. I pray that any of those who've been orbiting the kingdom would by faith enter the kingdom today 
and that you would do it, Lord, and that you would get all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.